0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to C4C Apologetics. I'm your host, Danny, and today we got another interview. I got my friend John, who's uh, got a YouTube channel out there, Ministry called John, or I, I call it Gion. I don't know. So I'm probably mispronouncing it myself. But Gion uh, is
1: actually uh, accurate, but I make it easier on people and just call me John. But yeah, Gion would be the correct pronunciation.
0: Awesome. So Gian, Gian the Baptist, uh, the YouTube link is in the descriptions below in this video, this audio, whatever, whichever platform you're listening to. But little known fact about this guy right here. This guy's a really good singer, really good singer. So I was end up and anytime I do these interviews, I Facebook stalk people and I want to see, okay, before I actually put a request out, who are they and are they legit? And so I Facebook stalked this guy for a little bit and he can sing, you know, and I I like the Phantom of the Opera. And so uh, maybe he'll get in a little bit about his background as far as singing is concerned. But today, what we're going to be talking about is a little bit about the gospel, a little bit about eternal security, a little bit of apostasy and and just things like that. You can find a lot of these topics on his channel. But before we get into the actual interview itself, John, I thank you for being with us. Could you just share a little bit uh, with the audience about who you are, your ministry, anything you'd like to share before we dive in?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, first, I want to thank you, Danny, for inviting me over. I've never really done this; This it's the first time I'm being interviewed um, other than a job, of course. (laughs) uh, Yeah. But uh, so I I thank you. uh, I'm excited about this. But yeah, I'm. I live in Florida. I've been. uh, I got saved about ten years ago. Um, I trusted Christ as my Savior, and uh, soon thereafter, and actually before that, I actually come from a very hardcore works based uh oneness pentecostalism um okay. i that's what i grew up in um i eventually uh saw some material that, that helped me see what the true gospel was right and i got into an independent fundamental baptist church about nine years ago which it's the same church i remain in to this day i'm involved in that church i love the elders they're you know it's a great church um i've ministry is now i'm at a full-time i'm not in full-time ministry or anything like that um I'm just an accountant. That's what I do. That's my trade. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do uh, like to make videos uh, from you know, coming out from a fundamental Baptist perspective and from a salvation by grace through faith alone perspective. Because I think that type of material, there's not a lot of it out there. So that, that's what I like to do.
0: One thing I love about your videos is there's no denying the fact that you got passion. You have passion coming through in all your videos. And with that, I appreciate it because whenever you're trying to tell the truth to a world out there, I mean, it's going to be received one of two ways. It's going to be received and rejected. If there's just no emotion, no passion, no care in the voice or the soul with it, or if you do have passion and desire and a burden for it, it'll be, it'll resonate a little more. So I appreciate that. You didn't you didn't mention anything about your singing though, so tell me all oh, the singing, right? A little right. bit singing. about the singing.
1: <laughs> well, uh, so how that goes is that um, my great uh, great grandparents were Italian and they came uh, they they came to Nicaragua, and so opera's big in Italy, obviously. Uh-huh. And so uh, the ancestor that came over from Italy to Nicaragua was an opera singer, and then my great uh, grandfather was also an opera singer. My grandfather he was a uh, actually professional. He got accepted into one of the most prestigious uh, opera houses in, in, uh, in Europe, which is La Scala in Milan. Mm -hmm. He ended up turning it down, but, but but he did get accepted uh, to go sing there. Uh, Then my grandfather kind of picked up the mantle um, and he was not professional. He was an attorney, uh, but he, he was just always known as the singer. That was like his hobby. Mm -hmm. And then when he died, I was about 13 years old Mm -hmm. in uh, an effort to like, you know, continue his legacy. I tried to like, you know, mimic his singing. And I just, yeah. I found out I could do it. I, I, I got the, I got the genes for it. So ever since I was about 13, it's been like a hobby and um, I've never trained or anything like that, but it's, uh, I grew up listening to Italian opera and French opera. And it's something I, you know, I like to do to this day.
0: So what are your thoughts on the Phantom of the Opera?
1: <laughs> to be honest with you um i don't really know much about english opera on broadway because oh, okay. yeah. uh, I, 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 like i said it was always italian and french opera that i was exposed to growing up yeah. though i do like the Phantom of the opera i like the uh what's the song the music of the night right that's oh yeah the yeah. The-
0: uh-huh.
1: yeah yeah but yeah I, I could appreciate the phantom of the opera too
0: me and my family we love the phantom of the opera i've seen it like three times i've seen it once in dc and i think once or twice in tulsa area so that's like our favorite you know op- Really, that's the only opera we actually like, you know, so I apologize about that.
1: It's all right. No offense (laughs) taken.
0: But like I said, what we're going to be talking about today is a lot of common questions that people have in just uh, what does scripture have to say? And so without further ado, uh, John, you know, one of the things as far as your YouTube ministry is concerned is is you do some videos as far as different teachers and preachers. I saw a post you had out there a couple months back that you were asking, uh, hey, who are some of the YouTube personalities that people would like you to uh, actually look at and review? I got a question. How do you know which people to actually listen to and which ones to avoid? Do you have like some sort of checklist or is it like one and done? If you hear something bad, you're done. You know, what are your thoughts? <laughs>
1: Well, uh, as far as where do I start, like who do I know to listen to? Yeah. I'm always going to start within my own tradition, uh, which is the independent fundamental Baptist movement. Mm-hmm. That's my starting point, right? But that's not to say that I limit who I listen to to just the IFB. Right. Uh, I often listen to people who are not IFB. What would keep me from listening to somebody um, is an explicit rejection of sola fide or, or justification by faith or of. Uh, Uh, scripture alone if somebody's like explicitly rejecting that Mm -hmm. then uh i'm just i'm not gonna take you know i don't i'm not gonna listen to them i'm gonna you know i'm gonna just you know wholesale reject what they have to say Mm -hmm. um any rejection of orthodoxy if they're like rejecting the trinity or something and the trinity is kind of a trigger point for me because (laughs) as i said i grew up in a oneness pentecostal background okay so uh for those of you who don't know Oneness Pentecostalism rejects the Trinity and they they uh, they teach what is called, what is known as modalism, which they do not believe there are three persons in the Godhead, but only one. And so they, they just think it's one person in the Godhead. Mm-hmm. So, you know, any outright rejection of orthodoxy or anything, you know, rejection of sola fide, then I know that I'm just not going to listen to that person. But if for example, they uphold Sola Fide, albeit, you know, it's it's nuanced. It might not be exactly the way I like to teach. Maybe it's a little bit muddy. I might extend some grace and listen to what they have to see on other topics.
0: So who are some of your uh, favorite preachers, teachers that you can find online?
1: I'll be honest with you. These days, I don't listen to much preaching uh, mm-hmm. outside of my local church. Okay. When I do, I listen to uh, uh, Pastor Tommy McMurtry. Mm -hmm. um i have you familiar with them
0: i am not i was actually going to write that down maybe get a link from you later yeah
1: um pastor tommy Murtry has good stuff i Mm -hmm. I appreciate him a lot um Mm -hmm. and and that's really that's really about it as as far as when i'm listening to what i what i would consider preaching or teaching on the word of god if i'm Mm -hmm. hearing like on some if if you're talking like do i listen to any other preachers like when they're talking about when they're not necessarily preaching but what they have to say on the topic or Mm -hmm. or what's going on in the news right now yeah there's some guys i listen to maybe um uh, and he's this guy's a calvinist obviously but uh doug wilson i think has interesting takes are you familiar with him nope i'm not <laughs> okay well he, he's very he, he's a presbyterian guy right. um and you know they're calvinists but he All i right. think he's very intelligent uh and he has a lot of i think interesting things to say about what's going on in the world right now
0: okay well, let me ask you this, as far as like watching people online or YouTube, whatever the case is, uh, can, is there anything good that can come out of listening to bad teachers? I mean, does it have to be throwing the baby out with the bathwater? What are your thoughts?
1: Okay. If by bad teaching, you mean like an explicit rejection of justification by faith or the Trinity, the deity of Christ, you know, all of what encompasses orthodoxy uh-huh. or, or, you know, they're like liberal and woke. Then- right. Then no, then then the baby must be thrown out with the bad water, in my okay, opinion, uh-huh. right? Because that sort of thing will tend to be pervasive. Like if they're like rejecting, if they're outright rejecting like salvation by faith, or if they're like liberal and, and going off into like pro blm stuff or just woke and stuff like All that, right. that's gonna like just permeate. That's gonna that's not gonna be like just one compartmentalized area where they All tend right. to be off. It's gonna tend to be the whole uh, the whole theology, everything they believe. Mm -hmm. But if by bad theology, we're talking uh, stuff we disagree with like Calvinism Uh um, or or maybe like a a technical rejection of eternal security, Mm -hmm. albeit I wouldn't necessarily consider it uh, works like it's nuanced. I I think a good example of this would be like Lutherans, not the liberal ones, like confessional Lutherans. Right. They have a technical rejection of eternal security. But I wouldn't say that it's like a works based rejection because the way they would view it, for Mm -hmm. example, would be like. You're saved by faith. And they explained it beautifully. Uh, sola Fide and, and justification by faith. Yeah. But how they were worded is, well, if you stop trusting in Christ, then you lose your justification. Okay. So they wouldn't say, and I disagree with that, obviously. I believe right. in internal security, but they wouldn't say like, oh, you don't do enough works or you sin too much, you'll lose your salvation. To them, it's like, oh, uh, you stop trusting in Christ. They're, they even phrased it like, if you start trusting in works,
0: mm-hmm. then
1: you would lose your justification. Oh. So- if that is what we mean by, by, uh, you know, bad theology, then yeah, I do think we don't, ha- I don't think we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think we can learn plenty from those yeah. people on, on other topics. And, uh, c- cause we have to allow for some nuances, I think within okay, orthodoxy. Right. right? Um, and, and, even Lordship salvation itself is a spectrum, right? Not everybody's going to go off to the degree that somebody like, I don't know, like John MacArthur or, or Paul Washer back in the day, my understanding is Paul Washer has softened up a lot on his lordship. Okay. Um, yeah. Several people have told me that I don't, I haven't verified it myself, but a lot of people mm-hmm. keep saying that. But if you're talking about like Paul Washer back in like the early 2000s, where he's like, where it's like really bad. Yeah. Um, you know, that's different from somebody who, who is a lot, a lot softer on the position. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I, I wouldn't mind. I, I guess a good example of this would be like vadi Bakum.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, another Calvinist. Mm-hmm. But I, he, I, I've listened to some of his preaching and he, I haven't honest, honestly, I haven't heard almost anything from him that sounds mm-hmm.
0: Uh He had a
1: whole sermon, for example, where he's talking about assurance of salvation. And right. he has, I believe the correct take on it. He says, you know, he's, he preached out of Roman seven and he talks about like, there's a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And so you mm-hmm. cannot base your assurance on your performance. Right. Uh, you have to look objectively to the cross. And I was saying, amen. Yeah. You know, I, I I had no objections to that. So I, if he does teach something like lordship, it's likely going to be very, very mild to the point where at that point, I just see it as nuance. Yeah. Like, okay, I can learn from you. There's no problem. And I do think it's important for us to to allow for nuance and to listen to people who don't necessarily agree with us to the T and not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Because I think there's danger in not engaging outside your particular tradition or denomination yeah uh, in our case the ifb and i'll use uh, we're both ifb mm-hmm. so um i'll use ifb the ifb as an example it, the, the ifb has kind of uh detached itself from any any notion of like church history and i don't right. think that's been a good thing uh, they, they and they have like what comes with that is that they don't even engage with people outside the ifb anymore It used to be like if you go to the days of John R. Rice, for example, in the 40s and 30s, Mm -hmm. uh, John R. Rice, who was IFB as well, he was engaging with like Presbyterians and he was friends with Methodists and stuff like that. Now, the Methodists back then were were much better. They're not, you know, the full blown liberals and, you know, that they are today. Back then there was a there was a contingent of Methodists. There were fundamentalists. And so they would all go to the same conferences, you know, the, the, the fundamental Baptists and the fundamental Methodists. And so I think their swords, so to speak, their theological swords were much sharper because they're engaging uh, with crowds that have different beliefs right. or slightly, different, obviously we're not outside of orthodoxy. That doesn't mean, oh, we're going to be cool with Roman Catholics that affirm uh, the Council of Trent or something like that.
0: Right. But
1: within within reason, mm-hmm. uh, I think we should engage and we should listen to other, uh, other traditions mm-hmm. because I think as it is today the ifBs our swords are very dull mm. uh, after, after decades of not listening to other people or not engaging with other people we end up coming to the right positions right like for example one one position where i would say we came to the right conclusion on is eternal security detached from any notion of calvinism
0: okay right, right?
1: that's the right position mm-hmm. but i feel like a lot of ifBs can articulate that very well and and the calvinists or the intellectuals and they'll wipe the floor with us now it doesn't matter if we're correct they just have they have you know they're eloquent they have a robust theology that's very consistent not necessarily with the bible but consistent within itself
0: right yeah they can
1: explain these things very eloquently and and because we just haven't engaged with them our arguments have been watered down to just like well john three sixteen says who's you know whosoever and he died for all and yes that's true it does say whosoever he yes. died for all but i don't think that's really cutting it if you're talking about a, a debate with a calvinist or something or someone who is seeking the truth and they see a debate and they see that that's pretty much your answer it's mm-hmm. not very convincing and so th- that to answer the question uh when it comes to people who are slightly, you know, th- when there's a nuance difference, I think we have to have engagement yeah. with them. We have to, we should listen to them and not necessarily fill the baby out with the bathwater. We can learn and sharpen our swords as a result.
0: Yeah. I appreciate a lot of what you said there, you know, all of what you said. And you had mentioned at the very end, as far as, uh, uh, I, I really thought about apologetics and while right. many I- I- IFBs might have the correct understanding of internal security, But if they can't articulate why, apart from John 3.16, or show how John 3.16 is a free grace view and not a Calvinist view, and that the world means all people and not just the world of the elect, if we can't articulate that, it's the same thing within Christian apologetics, where the days of our kids, you know, the days of us saying the Bible says it, that settles it, while that's true, That's not convincing for this generation that's underneath us. So they want to ask the questions. They want the hard questions. They want to ask why. They want to know why. And so if we can't do our due diligence to give them the reasons why we believe this or that, then we're not going to help them get stronger in their faith. And the same thing within theology. And so, you know, I appreciate that. So your main emphasis as far as uh, sort of throwing the baby out with the bathwater was based upon uh, soteriology in this aspect of what is the gospel? Could you explain and articulate in your words, you know, what is the gospel? How can somebody receive eternal life? Well, uh, the gospel is
1: the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Um, it, It is, in the most basic sense, and I think this is important to understand, it is news to be believed. It's not a commandment to be obeyed. It is too often framed as a commandment to be obeyed but it is not, it is news to be believed. <laughs> and so how can one be saved with the gospel? Right. Uh, it's, it's not as simple as, Oh, you believe it though. It is that simple. But what I mean by that is that it, this is not in a vacuum, right? We need context to this. So if to believe that Jesus Christ died, rose again, the third day for your salvation, implicit in that is a recognition that you need to be saved. Right. 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 And so, uh, this is where what is referred to theologically as the second use of the law comes in. All and right. the second use of the law is just a fancy way of saying uh, that the law condemns us,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: We, we looked at God's law. We realize we have not kept it. And as a result, we are condemned. We we mm-hmm. cannot bridge the gap to heaven anymore because we've already broken God's law. Mm-hmm. We've already not met his standards for entrance into his kingdom. And so once somebody has acknowledged that, right, they, they acknowledge I am a sinner. I have broken God's law, right? I can no longer, in and of myself, uh, meet the requirements to go to heaven, right? It, 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 in it, in the court of heaven, so to speak, I am one hundred percent guilty, mm-hmm. and that's what my file reflects. My, my file reflects uh, me being a son of Adam. Adam fell, and me being a son of Adam, mm-hmm. I also fell. Him as as my you know representative, and not only not only in a in a hypothetical sense, because we all sin. Right? It's not just because, well, Adam sinned, therefore I'm condemned too. No, we also sinned. And so we are condemned. Now, when somebody comes to that understanding, when they understand, I have broken God's law, I'm sinner, I'm condemned, I have no hope. That's when the gospel comes in. So the law comes to condemn, to break you down, and it is necessary. We have to preach the law to bring someone to this understanding. But once they've come to this understanding... And to this humility, they've humbled themselves before God and said, yeah, God, I agree with you. I've broken your law. I, am not, I cannot earn my way to heaven. This is when the gospel comes in. Guess what? God himself, God came down in the flesh. The son of God, the eternal son of God came down, became man, kept the law of God perfectly, was put to death by his enemies, uh, rose again the third day. And if you were to trust in his finished work, he will not only forgive you. Of your sins forgive you of that which separates you from god but you right. also impute unto you the good works that jesus christ himself did while he was on this earth right because hypothetically forgiving you of all your sins just put you almost in a place of neutrality hmm. right but the imputation of christ's righteousness you're not no longer neutral you are now good not because you're good you're now considered good because of what christ did now you are perfect. Now you can meet God's standard for entrance into heaven. And so that is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that comes subsequent to the bad news, right? The bad news we yeah. must understand first. We're sinners. We deserve to go to hell. We cannot enter into God's uh, kingdom. Now the good news comes in. Guess what? Jesus Christ uh, fulfilled all the requirements for you. If you were just to trust and what he did for you, then you can be saved. And uh, historically, um, it, it's basically what, what saving faith has been described as is knowledge, assent and trust, right? You need to have the knowledge of the gospel. You need to know, you need to hear how shall they hear without a preacher.
0: Right.
1: And how shall they preach except they be sent. So you need to have the knowledge of the gospel. You need to assent to it. Meaning you agree with the facts right. of the gospel. And then you need to trust it. You need to, you need to trust that it personally applies to you. Right. Cause somebody could, can hypothetically assent to the facts of the gospel. I, yeah. Jesus Christ did die and rose again. And he was God's son. He was perfect. But what good does that do you? If you don't, if you don't trust it, if you don't apply it to yourself and a good uh, example, of this would be Roman Catholics. They would have knowledge and assent to the gospel, but they do not trust in the gospel. They do not Mm. trust in Christ, which is the object of our faith. They do not trust in his finished work. Excuse me. And so they're still adding unto his finished work through the forms of, of, of their, Heretical view of the sacrament, for example, of, mm-hmm. of the uh, of the Lord's Supper, where they think they're sacri- resacrificing Christ every time the priest, right. you know, gives the the bread and the wine. He has to call down. Je- I mean, this is verbatim. He calls down Jesus, and Jesus. This is like what their theologians say. Jesus has to humbly obey obey the priest and come down and be sacrificed again, albeit in an unbloody fashion. That's how they kind of try to cover their butts yeah. by saying, "Well, it's a sacrifice, but in unbloody fashion." And so they have knowledge and assent, but not trust. But you have to have knowledge, assent, and trust in the finished work of Christ. That is the gospel. That's how you can be saved.
0: Amen. And that gospel presentation is for whosoever, correct? <laughs>
1: or whosoever. Absolutely. Jesus Christ died for everyone. Not limited atonement. It's universal atonement. Amen.
0: Amen. Yeah. So let me ask you this then. I mean, a lot of people will bring up, say, Matthew 7. By the fruit, you'll know them, or 2 Corinthians 13, 5, where Paul says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. And then Peter says, uh, uh, make your calling and election sure, things like that. Uh, What role do you believe uh, works or what is called fruit? What role does that play in the life of a believer or a Christian?
1: Okay, so a, a couple of things first i do want to uh, i do want to say i do believe there is evidence of salvation and i'll get into that later but but let's get really quickly into what fruit means in the bible Mm -hmm. because lordship salvation advocates just take for granted that fruit means a changed life or something like that or Mm -hmm. or works or good deeds and like you said they're getting that from matthew 7 that's where they get the term fruit from you shall know them by their fruits Mm -hmm. and they're completely just ignoring the context of that passage which is talking about false prophets Right. It's not talking about your average uh, person in the pew, right? It's not saying, well, you, you should judge every person in the pew by, by this standard. You shall know right. them by the fruits. It's specifically talking about preachers. And the second thing is, and I made a video about this. I think I, I bring this up in my video about uh, Paul Washer's famous sermon, that the book of Matthew itself teaches us what it means by fruit. Mm-hmm. Right, In Matthew chapter 12, just five chapters after that famous Matthew right. 7 passage, uh, Jesus Christ uh, says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt. So the same topic, right? Fruit, right. for the tree is known by its fruit. And he goes on to say, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So here we see in the context of fruits, Jesus Christ is talking about your words, your confession. That is what the Bible's talking about there in Matthew chapter seven. That's why it makes sense when you're talking about false prophets. You judge mm-hmm. them by their fruit, you judge them by their words, by what they preach, right? All is right. this guy preaching sound doctrine? Is he is what he he is preaching line up? Is it lining up with the Bible? Mm-hmm. That is a so judging someone by their fruit is is a is a biblical mode of examining someone, albeit it's talking about preachers and it's not talking about necessarily the change mm-hmm. in their life. Or, or, or their their works, because think about it. We know Joe Olsteen is a false prophet, don't we? <laughs> yeah,
0: he, right. He's quite the false teacher. He's quite the
1: false teacher. But does Joe Olsteen have any like anything we can specifically point to of like morality issues? We we can't. We don't know. Now yeah. he might have them. I don't know. But how yeah. do I know Joe Olsteen's a false prophet? It's not because I have objective evidence that he's in adultery or he's in fornication or something like that. It's because his preaching is not biblical. Yeah. That's how I know. That's yeah. how I'm judging the the uh the false prophet by his fruit, by what he preaches.
0: Yeah.
1: And so that that is something that lordshippers they kind of really abuse those passages of like fruits and all that and examination. Right. And even the one you brought up about uh examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith in Second mm-hmm. Corinthians. I mean, he says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith, not whether you be in the works. Right. You know, so <laughs> the examination there is like, hey, are you trusting in Christ? And that makes sense in light of the Corinthians, because you see in first Corinthians in chapter 15, you see some of them are doubting the resurrection of the dead.
0: Right. They're
1: doubting whether Jesus Christ rose. Not all of them. I mean, obviously, right. uh, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a contingent within that church that is obviously yeah. doubting that. And he says it, how, you know, he says, how say some? how say ye some of you that the dead rise not? Mm-hmm. If the dead rise not, then we are still our sins. Our faith is in vain. And so, yep. some uh, a group within the Corinthian church was doubting that Jesus Christ even rose again. And so, in light of that, he's telling them, "Examine yourselves, whether you're being the faith, are you trusting the gospel?" And so, that's just you know, I, those are some of the passages they turn to, but it's not saying what they wanted to say. right Now, that being said, there is the fruit of the spirit, right? So, the, okay. but you know, the love, joy, peace, and all those things. Right. And the Bible does, I believe, does teach that. Uh, all those who are justified will be sanctified, right? Romans 8 talks about that. And Mm -hmm. and Romans 7 talks about all the regenerate have the desire to do right, right? There's this internal struggle within the believer. Mm -hmm. You know, the spirit wants to do what is right and what is just and wants to please God, albeit in the flesh doesn't. But what's important to keep in mind here is that I do believe God works in us and changes us but I do believe it's to varying degrees and in different yeah. areas in our life and in different speeds, too.
0: Right. Not
1: everybody matures at the same level. And even in First Corinthians chapter 3, we see this where you see varying degrees to which the saved uh, have works to present to the Lord on the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. And they are rewarded accordingly. Right. You know, some have wood, hay, and stubble. They basically have nothing. <laughs> and yeah. some have gold and precious stones and, and, and stuff like that. So while I do think that there is a, I do believe God works in our lives and there is evidence of salvation, so to speak, uh, what the error with Lordship salvation is, mm-hmm. is this unbiblical overemphasis on this, on this mm-hmm. concept to, 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 the point where they're teaching you to draw your assurance from introspection, right? right? How do you know you're saved? Well, you got to look, you got to look within yourself. Am I changing enough? Do I have the right affections? Mm-hmm. Um, and as I often say, uh, if you're being honest with yourself, the honest answer to this question is no. You're not changing <laughs> enough. You don't have enough of the right affections. And so it what's what blows my mind is when like when lordship salvation people, when they when they say these things, they're implying that. Whoever's preaching at that moment, let's use Paul Washer as an example, right? He's implying that he asked himself this question and his answer is
0: yes.
1: (laughs) Think about how insane that is. That
0: is true. It's true.
1: He thinks that he does have enough of the so-called fruit. Yeah, he does have he does meet his his whatever arbitrary standard he's created in his mind. He thinks he passes it. Um, And, and, and one of the main things that, you know, the problem with Lordship is like they attempt to quantify the amount of fruit. That's where you get into unbiblical ground. Uh, They start to pontificate to what degree you need to change in which areas, how quickly this change needs to occur. And so, but the thing is you just don't know how God is working in someone. Uh, I'll give an example of my older brother, my older brother. um, He has been saved. uh, He got saved the same time, roughly I did. Mm -hmm. And, for the last so I, I it's been about 10 years for me for the last eight years in eight the half years he was uh heavy into uh you know smoking pot and just not going to church and, and living in sin right and then about a year about a year ago uh he just you know he felt he felt he was just said you know exactly what he's how he put it, He's like i felt like a loser i wasn't doing anything for god yeah and uh and so he he put down you know all the pot he stopped cold turkey, uh, mm-hmm. he you know he started going to church he got involved in the church yeah. he stopped living in fornication, and um, and if you were to, so now here's the funny thing. if you were to ask him did anything about your faith change you would say no, I've trusted yeah. in Christ all along. Right. And somebody would have looked at him for eight and a half years and said there's no way that guy saved he's showing no fruit. I mean, you didn't know yeah. how God was working in his heart clearly he was right clearly he was working in his heart. Right. to make him feel like, you know, culminating into that event a year and a half ago where he just said, I am done being a loser, so to speak, uh, right. as far as the, the things of God are concerned.
0: Yeah. And,
1: um, and, but if you ask my brother that anything changed as far as what you were trusting? And he would say, mm-hmm. absolutely not. I had trusted Christ as my savior since right. that time, 10 years ago, but a year and a half ago is when I got, when I got serious about serving God. And, yeah. and I thank God my, my brother is is serving God today. Mm-hmm. And, Amen. So you just don't know how God's working in someone's life, right? There might be an area where you might see somebody who who claims to be a Christian, and he might have a very obvious sin in his life. Let's say fornication. It's a, one of the worst sins a a a Christian can commit is fornication.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Albeit God might be working in him in some other area that you right. can't see as obviously. Now he's struggling with the fornication, but he might be working in him in some other area you have no you have no idea about. Right. So we, that's the thing The Lordship just kind of said, they, they kind of just try to assume and pontificate on, you know, they know yeah. exactly what's going on to the point that uh, Paul Washer says in one famous sermon, I think he goes, uh, he's talking about some people who had claimed to want a bunch of people to the Lord the prior right. week. And he's like, but, but it wasn't real because they weren't at church the next week. <laughs> wow! So I, I, yeah. Imagine how crazy that is. So like you you're, wow. Your standard for whether or not someone got saved is whether or not they're in church the very next week. Right. And that's ridiculous. Uh, you know? Wow. And often the way they, they try to describe yeah. sanctification, lordship that is, they try to describe sanctification as kind of like this, this lineal progression where like the, the believers just going from victory to victory to victory and constantly getting more holy. And anybody who's honest about the Christian life knows that's just bait. That's not at all how it is. No, you're not going from constant. Now there might be seasons where you're going from victory to victory, but you're not constantly going from victory to victory. It is more accurately described in my opinion as like uh, two steps forward, three steps back, then one step forward. You know, that's really what sanctification looks like practically. Right. Right. Um, And so uh, the error in lordship is to try to inspect uh, the the average guy in the pew by their fruit. This is not biblical. This is not uh, biblical at all. A more biblical method is if you're going to try to to find any method at all by which you can determine whether somebody who claims to believe in Christ is saved, the more biblical method Mm. would be do they hear, do they agree with God's word, Mm. right? When you tell them God's word, do they receive it? Do they agree with it? Or are they denying it? are they being chastised when they go off into sin? And even that one's a little bit subjective because again, God could be chastising them internally Yeah, with some type of internal battle. I know that's happened to me in the past where I've Mm -hmm. gone off uh, into sin and, um, and God was chastising me internally, though externally, you would not have known that. So even that one's a little bit iffy, but, but you know, I will say this. So I will say this about uh, using uh, fruit inspection. I think, in very limited cases, it might be uh, appropriate, and so I, I'll bring up this, you know, wild example. L- let's say Joe Biden, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's say Joe Biden tomorrow claims that that he believes in, in in Christ and he, you know, he renounces Catholicism, let's say, because he's officially a Catholic, although uh-huh. he's not even in good standing with, with Rome. I, right. I believe he can't even take part of communion, but uh, <laughs> let's say he he becomes, a, you know, he says he's a, he believes in salvation by faith alone. And, you know, and, and let's say he even has his little podcast where he's articulating the points of salvation by faith alone and all that internal security. Yeah. But when you, when it comes to somebody like Joe Biden, whose whole life and his whole career has been defined by opposition to God and all that is holy, Mm. right? If he were to claim all of those, he claims he saved, he's the president of the United States. Now we're going to have to suspend uh, reality for a second here and assume (laughs) that he can even, he even has thoughts running through his mind. That he can't even right, (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) Right, we're going to pretend for a second he can if he, if Joe Biden were to say, well, I'm saying I believe in salvation by grace through faith, yet he's president of the United States and is still put, putting his stamp of approval on uh, the, the infanticide, the genocide of, right. of little children and on gay marriage and all that stuff. Yeah. I don't believe him. Right. I don't believe him. If, if, if you know, it, I, cause here's the thing. I don't believe conversion is like this robotic thing where you just say, like, yes, I believe that I'm a sinner. Oh yeah. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I'm trusting mm-hmm. in that. I think how it would practically work out in like somebody like Joe Biden, for example, would be like, let's say he comes to a realization that he has sinned against God. Right. He's broken God's law. He really realizes that. And because of that, he deserves to go to hell. And now he trusts in Christ. I think how that will work, like in a real in a real situation, if that were to happen, he'd come to realization like, man, my whole life. I have been advocating for babies to be murdered in the womb. And I've been advocating for, you know, sodomy to be legalized and all these, these things. Let me, you know, Jesus Christ died for my sins. Let me try to do something about this. I'm in a position where I could do something about this. Mm -hmm. I think that's how it will actually practically work out. So I know that's a crazy example, but that's just in that specific, in in a case like that, I do believe it's not like, I believe that Joe Biden can truly trust in Christ and then just completely be It's not because I believe he has to do those things in order to be saved. It's just, I think it's a natural consequence of like, you're trusting in Christ. Your whole life has been defined by hating Christ. You know, I think what's natural is that he would say, we're going to do something about this abortion thing or, you know, whatever.
0: All right. Well, so let me ask you this, as far as repentance is concerned, and in a lot of the Lordship and the Calvinists, they'll argue that repentance is a requirement to receive eternal life. Could you explain a little bit what is repentance and does somebody need to repent to be saved? And should a Christian repent in their life? You know, what are your thoughts on those? Okay,
1: so uh, repentance repentance can mean anything. The word repent just means to change. Okay. The, in scripture, you have to look at the context to, to see what the change that's being called to is. Mm. So if you're reading the King James Bible, for example, God repents. Right. right, and that right there refutes any notion that 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 repentance has built into it any any uh any idea of turning from sin. God has no sin to turn
0: from, obviously. Right, because he re, he it says he repented that he had made man back in Genesis, right? Right from the flood. Right.
1: Yeah, it, was he turning from sin? Absolutely not. Well, right, he changed his mind. Like this, uh, you know, I wish I wouldn't have done this. Not because he made a mistake, but because right. man made a mistake, got man stepped out of bounds. Right, so. Repent simply means to change what the change, the change that needs to occur is, is, uh, is judged by the context of the, of the passage. And, uh, in the context of justification, the, the change that needs to occur, the repentance that needs to occur is a recognition of your guilt before God and your inability to be justified by your own means
0: okay, right,
1: right. Or, or any of your own efforts to adhere to God's law. Right? Mm-hmm. you need to realize that's the, that's the change that needs to occur because that's the default position of men that are born on this earth. Right, they think the default position is, oh, I do good, I go to heaven. I do bad, right. I go to hell. Yep.
0: And
1: so, and so, it's this in, in, implicit uh, idea that they can even do be good enough, right. or that they haven't done bad enough to uh, just wholesale be rejected from any right. possibility of going to heaven. So that's the change that needs to occur. This realization that they're not good that you're not good that you have broken god's law and, and you know and and that's in such a way not because of the quantity of sin but just mm-hmm. it, it's just literally one sin right right makes you guilty of it all as james says he, he keep yep. it the whole law and yet offend one point he's guilty of it all right and so that's what the repentance that needs to occur this realization that you have sinned before god because of that you deserve to go to hell and you cannot save yourself that's it you have no chance of doing that 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 ship has sailed the moment you sin for the first time. And uh, and you need to change from that thinking, from thinking you can save yourself, to understanding that your only salvation is found in Christ and his finished work. <laughs> that is what repentance means in the context of justification. Now, uh, you clearly touched on there on how Calvinists uh, uh, would define repentance, but I do want to be fair to Calvinists that yeah. not all of them would define it that way, particularly not the the uh, those that adhere to the to the historic confessions like the London Baptist confession or the Westminster. Okay. I don't want right. to adhere to those. Obviously I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a Calvinist, Yeah. but um, typically those who are, who are uh, confessionally reformed are going to reject lordship salvation and are even going to have the right stance on repentance uh, actually. Okay. Yeah. So th- th- those that are going to have, th- they're going to lean lordship are going to be those who are uh, more associated uh, with being a, uh, you know, uh, they're not going to adhere to the confessions, and they're Calvinists. Mm-hmm. They just so happen to hold to the five points, but they're not confessionally reformed. There is okay. a difference there. I just okay. wanted to point that out. Yeah. Um. And 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 that's why, for example, I said earlier, guys like Vadi Bachman, he's confessionally reformed. That's why he's not very lordship. I do uh,
0: like Vodi Bachman in some regards because, as a Christian apologist, he's a really oh good yeah he's apologist. brilliant yeah
1: he's brilliant yeah. yeah. So, um, I didn't want to make that distinction, but when people define repentance as a turning away from sin and they make that a requirement, right. That you need to do that mm-hmm. before you come to Christ, uh, or some would say, or oh, not, not, you don't have to necessarily turn from sin, but you have to, there needs to be a willingness to turn from all your sins. Right. The problem with this definition is that it is, it is just clearly a work salvation definition. It, it's going right. to it, it necessitate the work salvation when you're, when you're defining it that way. Because when you look at the definition of sin, right, First John 3, 4 defines it as sin is the transgression of the law, right? right? When you're sinning, it means you're breaking the law. That means when you're turning from your sin, you're keeping the law, right?
0: Oh, right.
1: Right. And the Bible clearly says, you know, like in Romans chapter 3, it says, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Mm-hmm. In other words, a man is justified by faith without keeping the law. Mm -hmm. and that also means without turning from your sin because that's that very definition of sin is to break the law when you're not seeing when you're not sinning, you're keeping the law so just justification comes without any of that it's Mm -hmm. just by faith and so when you're adding this element of turning from sin when that's your definition of repentance in regard to salvation you're starting to introduce works into salvation and that i don't i I don't think that that could be denied it's just so clear Mm -hmm. um and, and people like to act like, oh, this is like a new development. Nobody in history <laughs> ever believed repentance the way you guys are explaining it. You know, it's always been defined as a turning away from sin, and this is simply not true. Right. Uh, when you look at, for example, what is known as the Marrow Controversy, this was no, this was a controversy in the the Church in Scotland, which is a, a Presbyterian Calvinist uh, okay. denomination. This was back in like the six in the seventeen hundreds, I believe, mm-hmm. and it was it was referred to as the Marrow Controversy, and the the short of it is that this question came up must someone forsake their sin in order to come to Christ. And Mm -hmm. uh, there was a division within the church of Scotland over this. um, And, and I'm, and um, at least at the time, the, the right group ended up prevailing and their, their answer was no, you don't need to forsake anything to come to Christ. You come to Christ as you are. Mm -hmm. Right. They came to that conclusion. Uh, So even within the reformed Calvinist world, this question has been, answered correctly we would say mm-hmm. uh you don't need to yeah. forsake anything to come to christ and that is why as a result the, a lot of the historically confessionally reformed would also have the right position on this um okay. they would not say that you need to turn from your sin in order to be saved they'll say you come to christ as you are mm-hmm. um and as far as repentance in the life of a christian once you are saved obviously the, the christian life is one of repentance or at least mm-hmm. it should be right we, we should daily renew our minds we should daily seek to do that which is pleasing to god and that's what sanctification is all about yeah by being conformed to the image of his son right uh we we strive to do that which is right before god there is a battle right romans 7 uh between the spirit and the flesh and that battle is going to last for the rest of your life uh you're never going to avoid that battle now sometimes the spirit would have the upper hand and sometimes when you slip the flesh is going to get the upper hand but that battle is going to remain till the day you die And uh, and so you should strive to uh, repentance is something a Christian should strive for. But this should be divorced from justification. But this is not justification. This is sanctification. You know, it's it's separate from justification.
0: Excellent. Uh, So when we're looking at this aspect of works and repentance, so clearly understanding that it has no merit within being justified before God. Uh, what about this aspect of enduring to the end? I mean, you know, some people will take Matthew 24 and they'll use the verse that says, who that endures to the end will be saved. Must a Christian, well, first, will a Christian endure to the end and must a Christian endure to the end in order to be saved? And and what's Jesus talking about there in Matthew 24?
1: That's an interesting way how you phrase it there, will or must because right? mm-hmm. often a lot of people, uh, I'm going to get into it in a second, but a, uh, some people will view passages that are uh, descriptive as if they were prescriptive, <laughs> right? That, that's a, There's a distinction that needs to be made there. Uh, not every passage is telling you, you must do this, but but it's saying this will happen. Now, right. when it comes specifically to this issue of will someone endure, must a Christian endure to the end? And right. as you said, that's from Matthew 24. Um if endurance is defined as a continual patience of doing good and all that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: then no, uh, that's not a Christian doesn't need to do that. Because if that were the standard, then nobody is going to endure. Right. Right. And 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 if you look at the context of Matthew twenty four, you know that is talking about uh, the context. There's physical life. It's talking about it's eschatological, right? It's yes. talking about except those days shall be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved. It's a physical salvation that's being spoken of there. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's talking about stored and famine and peril and all these sorts of things going on there. And so the context is clearly if you endure like through these hardships, your flesh should be saved. It's not talking about, you know, the salvation of the soul.
0: Okay. But
1: and so I don't believe that there's that a Christian has to endure to the end in in good works necessarily. But Mm -hmm. I do believe that our faith does persevere. Uh, that that is mm. uh, that is something I do, but I do believe that there is a perseverance of in the faith of trusting in Christ and the finished okay, work right. of Christ. Uh, if, you know, for example, First John says, "For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world." And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Mm. And so, uh, well, obviously, I don't want you don't want to take that too far. You know, some people are going to have seasons of doubt. Uh, even John the Baptist went through a season of doubt. Yes, but did. I do believe that those who are saved will uh, those that trust in Christ will always trust in Christ. In that sense, I do believe that a Christian endures to the end, uh, but not necessarily in like good words or anything like that.
0: Right. So could you, could you define what the term apostate means? And do you believe a Christian can go apostate? Why or why not?
1: Okay. So apostate, I will say uh, when I think of the term, it's like a uh-huh. wholesale rejection of Christ. Right, okay. you're just not. You're not uh, somebody who had claimed to trust in Christ before is now saying, mm-hmm. uh, "I don't believe in Christ." A famous example of this, man, this guy's is, is forget. Uh, he's debated with Kent Hovind a couple of times. Michael Shermer. Um, okay,
0: right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he
1: claims that he was an evangelical Christian and he was even evangelizing, and then now he claims he's an atheist. Okay, right. uh, What to make of somebody like that? Uh, well, I don't believe he ever trusted Christ. That's my honest answer to that. I do. Okay. Uh, I don't believe that someone who has genuinely trusted in Christ is going to mm-hmm. come to a, a, posi- uh, a, a position in their life where they're just going to reject Christ. Uh, in other words, uh, I guess even go- going to that same passage in Matthew twenty-four, yeah. where it says there shall false Christ arise and false prophets and shall show mm-hmm. great signs and wonders, right. and so much that they will receive, they will, if possible, they will deceive the very elect. It says, mm-hmm. if possible. Implying it's not possible that the elect will be deceived by false prophets. And right. so, in the same way that I don't believe that someone who is indwelled by the Holy Ghost, right, the, the mm-hmm. Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Somebody right. who is saved, born again, trusted in Christ, has the Holy Ghost indwelling inside of them, I don't believe they're going to be deceived by Islam. I don't believe they're going to be deceived by Hinduism. And I don't believe yeah. they're going to be deceived by atheism. Now, I do believe there could be they can get off into error. Certainly they can go off into false doctrine and, and get the wrong uh, have wrong understandings. I don't uh, yeah. and but I don't believe they're going to become an atheist. I don't believe okay. they're going to, you know, uh, and so that's my view of apostasy. There are seasons of doubt. We see yeah. John the Baptist himself after having seen such great things, but he yeah. saw literally he baptized Christ and he has he's the father, you know, speak out of the out of the heavens and the Holy Ghost ascending upon him as a dove. Right, and yet he's asking when he's in prison. Right, it's a very—he uh, finds himself in a very vulnerable position. He's in prison, and he sends his his messengers, uh, his uh, disciples, to ask Christ, "Are you the Christ? Or do we look for another?" Right. Obviously, right. he was going through doubt. I I'm not saying that the Christian can't doubt, but I just don't believe that a Christian can apostatize to the point where there's just there's a wholesale rejection of Christ.
0: Mm-hmm. And so,
1: can a Christian fall into grievous sin? Yes, of course. Right. You know, that, that I don't deny, but uh, I don't believe a Christian's going to go apostate to, to that degree.
0: So what, what would you say? Uh, I, I think I can assume what you would say, but uh, though some, some of those within free grace theology that hold to eternal security and once saved, always saved, uh, they may have a different nuance to that view. And so what a lot of times Calvinists or Lordship or even Arminius would argue is the fact that if you believe in once saved, always saved or eternal security. Then somebody that got saved as, say, a 10-year-old kid, if they grow up and they become Anton LaVey's prodigy and they become yeah. a Satanist, then those that spouse once saved, always saved, also believe that a Satanist can go to heaven. This is one of the attacks they have against eternal security. What would you say about that?
1: Me personally, uh, like you said, I guess my previous answer kind of shed light on this. Uh, uh-huh. I think that this is this is like a caricature of eternal security, in my opinion. Mm, and okay. I, I realize, like you said, there's some uh, some proponents of of uh, a free grace that would disagree with me on this.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I think uh, guys like uh, like Bob Wilkin, for example, would not agree with me on this. But I, yeah, okay. I personally, like I said, I don't believe that somebody who is saved will apostatize to that degree. Uh, i because mm-hmm. in my opinion there the holy ghost is inside of you you know right. there, there is this object objectivity to the fact that the holy ghost indwells in you and it bears mm-hmm. witness with your own spirit that you are Our god's spirit. child that i think is going to keep you know the saved from and like i said the bible explicitly yeah. says that those who are who are elect and we don't mean that in a calvinist sense of course we mean that okay you know, right they're mm-hmm. like those who are saved um they won't be uh, deceived by even the most, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The most subtle of false prophets. We're talking about in the eschaton here, you know, right. these are the guys throwing, showing signs and wonders and stuff that it will be very convincing. And even in that context, the elect mm-hmm. will not be deceived. And so I think it's very unlikely that the elect will be deceived by people who are mm-hmm. less um, convincing than, than people, you know, than the false prophet and the <laughs> antichrist, right. you know? Yeah. That's my view of that.
0: So would it be similar to the fact on like I I wouldn't believe that a christian can be demon possessed because they got Me the neither. holy spirit you know so right. would it be the same if someone's saved and they have the holy spirit uh that they shouldn't be able to fall away into a, a, a false religion that is contrary to christianity mm-hmm. is, is that a fair analogy
1: It is a fair analogy yeah that's very okay. it's very uh as a matter of fact I have personal experience with this so okay. um uh, to get off into a little anecdote here yeah not me. I was never even possessed, to make it clear.
0: <laughs> but
1: yeah. um, so, as I said, I grew up in a oneness Pentecostal background. I just right. Are you familiar with that, by the way, with oneness Pentecostalism? It's
0: only fairly recently. Uh, I've understood like T.D. Jakes had hold, held uh, modalism for a while. Yeah. So I've understood modalism. But as far as the other nuances within oneness, you know, not very much. I did watch a couple of your videos that talks about it. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, but go on.
1: So uh, I, I grew up in a particular, it's almost cult-like, uh, this uh, this contingent within Pentecostalism, with particularly within what is known as the Holiness Pentecostal Movement, mm-hmm. um, which they're going to have a lot of the same standards we tend to have in fundamental Baptist churches. You know, they're going to be very conservative and very, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, just uh, not classic. Uh, very, um, uh, the word is sipping me. But yeah, they're going to be very conservative yeah and so they have those standards but the they have like a very extreme view of salvation by works to the point okay. that uh, that i grew up being taught that if a woman doesn't wear a skirt she's going to go to hell or uh, if a oh, woman wow. or if like you're watching the wrong thing on television you're going to go to hell um in some cases even if you're watching television at all you're going to go to hell i mean this is an right. extreme wow. view of salvation by works yeah um, that's what I grew up in up until I was about 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And so I've always in my life been kind of like, uh, I don't want to say holy, but I was like a Christian, you know, I, I was, uh, I was had a wholesome life. You know, I was the guy in high school who, you know, I, I, I kept my virginity all throughout high school. And I was, uh, right. I was known as the pure guy and, you know, and I, was and I was, you know, that was my reputation. I was just the guy, you know, me and my brother, both of us. Right. And so, um, that's the the background I grew up in, and and within the subset of holiness Pentecostalism, I grew up in a particular uh, subset of that which taught oneness. So they're known as the Oneness okay. Pentecostals. Uh, and um, so within that, my uncle was kind of our spiritual leader, right? He's okay. the one that taught me all this. I grew when I, when I was a very small child, I was de facto uh, c- c- Catholic just because all Italians and people from Latin America are Catholic, you know, it's just the way it is. So I was nominally Catholic. And then uh, my uncle gets more involved in my life and my cousins who were my best friends uh, growing up, you know, their dad is like a preacher. My uncle's a preacher Mm -hmm. and he taught me one is Pentecostalism. And so when I got out of that, I was about 20, I went. So I, as I said, I grew up, very wholesome and and doing and living a very holy life, albeit I wasn't saved. I was completely trusting in my own holiness right. to get me to heaven. Yeah. Uh, but right. I had read the Bible through several times. I knew Scripture and all that. But and, right. and so after high school, I kind of fell away from the faith. But I okay. uh, I I, always, I still believed in in Jesus and in the Bible, albeit in not the correct way, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, but I fell away from living holy, in other words. And so I went off into the world and all that and you know, by the time I that happened right after high school. And then by the time I was like 21, uh, 22, I started to get, you know, uh, interested in going back to the faith, but now I was coming back to it, uh, in a different, through a different lens. And I was watching material. I saw some Mm -hmm. Kent Hovind's Um, I saw some of, uh, pastor Steven Anderson, who, you know, I'm not a big fan of his anymore these days, but Mm -hmm. I got to give him credit where credit's due. Um, and, and I started watching some of that material. And I saw what the true gospel was through, you know, Hovind and, and Anderson.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I came to see that what I had been taught was, was, was a was a fraud, you know, it was works of wow. salvation. And so then I started preaching this to my Pentecostal family. <laughs> and I was yeah. I was deemed anathema. I was oh. deemed, I was kicked out of the out of the, the family circle, whatever. Yeah. Um and so in all that going on, I had we had a close friend of the family who was my age, so a friend of my cousins and I. Mm-hmm. and uh he grew up with us and he was part of like our little circle you know and my uncle was like our prophet you know okay and i had already been kicked out of the circle and this guy i had been shunned by everyone including this uh this friend and so a couple of years go by and this friend gets demon possessed like i i hear oh, he's wow. and i saw the video it was very disturbing where he's yelling yeah. blasphemies his eyes look crazy and all that and um and I had the opportunity, and supposedly the demon was cast out, right? I don't know if it really was or not, but uh, that he was demon-possessed, I think is quite, is you know, it cannot be denied. If you have seen the video oh, I right. saw,
0: yeah. he went
1: to go visit my uncle and his family in Nicaragua, which is where they live. And this happened, this demon-possession episode happened.
0: Uh-huh. And I had an
1: opportunity to speak to him after it was, you know, supposedly resolved after he had, that the demon had been supposedly cast out. And I told him, listen... The Bible teaches that, you know, someone who is saved cannot be demon possessed. I know I've, I've gone through this whole tangent, but no, you're good. I'm tying it back into what you said. Yeah. The Bible teaches that, you know, he, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And in mm-hmm. order for a demon to come into a body, he has to first bind the strong man. Right. That's right. how Jesus described it. In this case, the strong man would be the Holy Spirit. You know, mm-hmm. the, a demon can't bind the Holy Spirit. He has to do right. that before he possesses a vessel. And I explained that to him, and I and I tried, I kind of used that as like a as like a as a pivot to preach the gospel to him. And I said, "Is there any change in your belief from before the demon possession to after? Because if there isn't, one, you realize that you weren't saved at the time of the demon possession. So something was wrong with your faith." And if you haven't changed anything about what you believe, about what you're trusting in, you're susceptible to even a worse demon possession this time, my friend. Right. And he didn't really have an answer to that. But yeah, I mean, uh, to tie back into what you said, yeah, I don't believe yeah. that Christians can be demon possessed. And even that has been something I use apologetically to this particular yeah. friend.
0: Wow. And in that story, Jesus says, and he comes back with what I believe it was like seven more demons. And then he's seven worse more off more wicked, than More wicked than himself, yeah. Yep. So... Excellent. Well, last question that I really have for you is, uh, and I know you have at least one, maybe a couple videos on this, but in your mind, what are the most convincing arguments of the eternal security of the believer?
1: Okay. So uh, a lot of people will point to the fact that justification is by faith, right? And, and I do think it's okay. a valid thing to point to, right? If justification is by faith, then of necessity in order to, to lose it, the only way to lose it would be if it's by works
0: right right? and
1: i agree with that but but i think there is uh not valid but there is reasonable objections to that line of thinking which would be as i as i pointed out before confessional Mm -hmm. confessional lutheranism which would say yeah yeah you can lose it though but it's not based on your works you lose it based on whether you still have faith in the finished work of christ Mm -hmm. so in my opinion the the strongest proof of eternal security would simply be, It would be the sufficiency of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Because okay. if you look at Hebrews chapter 10, particularly, and how it, it juxtaposes the Levitical priesthood and the sacrifices from the Levitical priesthood to that of Christ,
0: right? Mm-hmm. And it
1: says uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, but in those sacrifices is a remembrance, again, made of sins every year. Right. Uh, for it is not possible that by the blood of bulls and goats uh, th- that should take away sins. And it's saying basically like the Levitical priesthood had to, uh, had to offer uh, sacrifices for sins on a daily basis. Now, we understand that that never really took away the sins of anything. But just like in a symbolic sense, their, right. their sins had to be continually forgiven by continuing to sacrifice animals.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it contrasts that in Hebrews chapter 10 and elsewhere. But Hebrews chapter 10 goes into this with the most detail. It contrasts that with the sacrifice of Christ. Right, by the mm-hmm. which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all.
0: Mm-hmm. Right,
1: it's a once for all sacrifice.
0: Yeah. Right,
1: And it says, uh, <clears throat> reading verbatim from the scripture here, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, it says, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And so mm-hmm. the contrast is the Levitical priesthood had to do this over and over again because they could you know it could only hypothetically or symbolically rather uh, forgive the sins of that day or up until that point in time. Right. In contrast, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ forgives you of all your sins forever, right? Mm-hmm. It says you perfect, he is perfected forever them that are sanctified. That is the whole premise as to why Jesus only had to die once, because mm-hmm. that one sacrifice was sufficient to cover all your sins, past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. And even if you get to like Romans chapter four, it covered, I believe it covers the past, present, future aspect. It says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him to justify the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Um even as David also described describing the blessedness of the man unto God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, past, right. and whose sins are covered, present. <laughs> blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not, will future, not. impute sin. It's mm-hmm. all covered there. And that is because of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. And so just think about it. If you can't, if eternal security is not true, then how is Christ's sacrifice different from the Levitical precept?
0: Hmm.
1: It's, it's essentially not there's no difference there's no contrast there but because there is a contrast because because specifically because eternal security is true or because jesus christ's sacrifice is once for all sacrifice that perfects those who trust in it forever that is why eternal security is true to me that is the strongest proof of eternal security
0: amen amen but with the precious blood of the lamb not corruptible things such as gold silver you know, traditions of men. So definitely, I appreciate that. Now that was the last question on this interview. So for everybody else still sticking around, appreciate you hanging out and listening to John. Uh, Before we close up, are there any last comments, last words, anything you want to mention before we say goodbye to everybody?
1: Not particularly. I do want to say I appreciate uh, you
0: inviting me on. This was a
1: a, a fun experience. As I said, i would never done this before, but I hope in the future I can, I can, you know, be on other people's platforms and all that. And I'd be willing to come back if there's ever one, uh, you know, another topic you want to particularly brush up on. There is actually one.
0: We, uh, I I made a note when you were talking, Uh, maybe me and you can get together and we can uh, do another interview discussion as far as, your oneness background in the freedom sure. that there is within free grace theology versus oneness, Pentecostalism and the holiness aspect. Yeah. So oh, definitely. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah.
1: No, that'd be a good topic. Cause I'm actually very passionate from that. I mean, growing up with such deception and such uh, instability in my heart, like not knowing like it, it was a day to day thing growing up, whether or not I was going to go to heaven that day or hell. Wow. And in contrast with, with the, with, the, the full assurance I now have in Christ, but even, mm-hmm. even when I'm messing up or, you know, when I'm not doing my best or whatever that, you know, that doesn't, matter. I don't look at myself. I look at the, the objectivity that Christ died for my sins. Mm-hmm. And I can know that based on scripture. And that is my assurance, you, you know, Jesus right. Christ himself. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm very passionate, particularly on that topic. So I, yeah, I'd be glad to come back on and talk about that.
0: Yep. So go ahead and check out his YouTube ministry. It's a uh, Gian the Baptist, G-I-A-N. There's going to be links in the descriptions here. We're probably going to pull some more links from uh, what he's talked about during this interview as well. And so go ahead, head over or like, comment, share, subscribe on this video. And until next time, God bless.